We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Omani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Well, cool. If you have a Bible today, let's open up to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, and we begin reading in verse 13, where it says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. We read those first two words there in verse 13. Um, now behold. Uh, God really wants us to see this. He wants us to see this whole story Right here, And I know we kind of picked it up in the middle of that Sunday. This was the day, it says right there again in verse 13, that same day. This is the Sunday that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You know, and you look at this right here and we see that these guys uh, are on this road to a village called Emmaus. It's a little over seven miles west of Jerusalem. Just a couple of disciples traveling that day. And, you know, they're just talking, it says right there, about all the things that had gone on in, in the last few days, probably, but maybe even in the last few years. Who knows? Maybe these guys were, you know, guys that knew about the entire ministry of Jesus Christ. And, and so they're, they're walking, they're talking. It's kind of interesting there, verse 15. Notice it says, so it was while they conversed and reasoned. Now, the word reasoned is a word that means to seek to examine together, it means to discuss, to question, to debate, even to dispute. As a matter of fact, Kenneth Weiss, he translates this verse right here to have an animated and heated conversation. And so, you know, they're on this road to Emmaus. Uh, they're having this intense conversation, right? They're just going at it. And then right there in verse 15, right in the middle of this whole thing, the Bible says that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But, it says in verse 16, their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And, and we'll, we'll get into this, and hopefully we'll be able to take away some real, real cool things. You know, it's kind of cool how we can find ourselves on that road to Emmaus, which to me, when I read about these guys on the road to Emmaus, I read about a couple of guys that are going the wrong way. I read about a couple of guys that are walking and talking in the wrong way. They belong in Jerusalem. They belong with the fellowship of believers. But for whatever reason, and we're going to see how it all unfolds, they had lost hope. They had lost that trust. And, and I really believe, and we're going to see Jesus here, you know, he'll talk about this. They, they're walking, they're talking in the wrong way. And it's so cool. But Jesus comes to them. Jesus comes to them. And, and, you know, just real quick, and we'll, you know, unfold this more. Just as a real quick side note, maybe you're here today, and in all reality, yeah, you're in church, cool. But in all reality, you're walking and you're talking in the wrong way. 
You know, you're, you're running away. You're going away from what God has for your life. It's cool to me to know that Jesus, although he does not want you to do that, although he will show you how foolish it is to go the wrong way, it's cool to me to know that the Lord will, will go after you, man. The Lord will meet you there. I'm not talking about just missing church, although that's part of it. Sometimes it just breaks your heart to see how, how, how fickle people are, how, you know, lackadaisical they take a commitment to honor the, the Sabbath day, to give God at least one day a week and they don't go to church. I'm talking about more than that. I'm talking about in your heart when you're going the wrong way. And just to know that the Lord knows and to know that he'll leave the 99 and he'll come after you. But it's interesting, as the Lord does this in a physical sense, it says right there that they couldn't recognize him. In verse 16, their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Now, right away, you know, someone might say, well, that was God. God blinded their eyes. And, you know, maybe it was. But usually when I read the Bible, especially when I read about Jesus speaking the parables to the people, usually it's their own fault that they can't see. Jesus. They can't see the truth. They can't see sometimes, you know, even angels that come into their life because they're lacking that faith. And they're not in that place where the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. You see, by faith, we see the invisible. By faith, we do the impossible. And so they can't see. Some might blame it on God. I wouldn't. I would blame it on them. They just can't recognize Jesus. And so as Jesus comes, um, we read in verse 17 that he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? kind of funny huh the lord knows everything but he still wants to hear you talk he's all what things and so they said to him the things concerning jesus of nazareth who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before god and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem israel Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And so here were a couple of disciples on the wrong road, walking the wrong way. They're actually running away. They're sad. They've pretty much lost hope, right? And they find themselves disillusioned. They're disillusioned. Why? Because they had been illusioned to think that this is the way that it would be for the Messiah. This is the way that it should be for him. This is the way that it should be for us. This is the way it should be for Jerusalem. This is the way it should be for Israel. This is the way it should be for all God's people. And when it didn't go according to their way, 
they drifted away. They walked away. They were running away. And that's the temptation, I think, that we can have in life. It's pretty easy to see that these disciples were discouraged. And they were on the verge of despair. They were on the verge of being defeated by the devil. And and then just, it's so cool, out of the blue, you know who Jesus comes in and just joins them. And he starts to walk with them. At first, he's just listening to them. But eventually he asks, what are you guys walking and talking about? And and why do you look so sad? And then this guy Cleopas, he basically says, man, you must uh, be the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on. And Jesus said, what? What's going on? And he said, well, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. He identifies him there in verse 19 as a prophet, not the prophet, a prophet, Powerful in words and works, but apparently not powerful enough. The religious leaders condemned him to death and he was crucified. I I can't believe he died. You know, we thought that he was the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. We were actually hoping that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But he suffered like a common criminal and he just hung there and died. And then to make matters worse, this whole thing about the Messiah got messier when these ladies uh, really, you know, they went to the tomb. They said he was alive. They said angels spoke to them. They're trying to make us lose our mind. That's what the Greek word right there, astonished, is all about. And they just said, you know what, after that, a couple of friends, fellow followers of him, they went to the tomb. But you know what, bottom line is no one's seen him. And so we just said, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm out of here, you know? We we needed some space. We don't understand any of this. It doesn't make any sense. And what we see, you guys, is something that happens, I think, quite frequently in the church when things don't go our way. Things aren't going according to our timing. And next thing you know, man, you are not walking with the Lord. That's the next thing you know, you're walking away from the Lord because your little plan didn't come to pass in your timing. You see, and, and we got to be so careful with that, that the confused, diffused, discouraged, defeated, depressed disciple who's sad when he shouldn't be sad. You see, that's the lesson we're going to see, and that's part of it. I don't know if you've ever been there. I would venture to say that there might be more than just a couple of disciples here today that find themselves relating to these guys probably a little bit more than they would like to. You know, where God just doesn't seem to be following your plan. You're like, what's up, God? (laughs) I mean, can't you see the plan? Catch the vision, Lord, you know? (laughs) And we're just like struggling, right? And, you know, there you are. You're thinking this is the way it's supposed to be. You're not getting your way, and so you're drifting away. You're walking away. You might even be falling away. I know one guy, he walked away from the Lord because God didn't give him a girlfriend or a wife, you know, according to his timing. I know another guy who walked away from the Lord because he didn't think the church treated him right, as if the church were Jesus. No, the church is not Jesus. We, we want to be like Jesus, but you can't blame your walk on the church or any other man or woman you got to follow Christ no matter what. If he gives you a girl or a guy or not, no matter how anyone treats you, 
I know another gal who walked away from the Lord because her Christian marriage wasn't what it, you know, she thought it was going to be. It was blisters instead of bliss. That can happen a lot, right? <laughs> Some leave the Lord because they lose a loved one. It could be a child or a parent, a sibling, a friend. And I know that's very difficult. You know, it might be something you stumble over in the ministry or or maybe it's something you struggle with. You're struggling here today financially, and you're saying, you know what? I thought when I followed the Lord, man, that he was going to take care of all those things. You know, a lot of times these fine people, they're struggling financially, you know, and, and I just tell them, you know, and we have people come in here, we give them food all the time, we give them food, and I just tell them, you know what? Just come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus. He might not make you rich, but he will take care of your needs, and he will give purpose to your life. Just come. You know, God promised, I'll take care of your, your needs, not your greeds. I might not give you a mansion. It's okay. You've got a mansion in heaven that will never fade away. You don't have to worry about that. You know, some fall away, and there's so many reasons why, and they find themselves walking and talking away from the Lord, the Lord. You know, on the way in today, I was talking to my kids, and I just, you know, every once in a while I'll ask them, because I also ask myself, do you love Jesus? And I try to tell them, man, he died for you. He deserves our love. But what we find is that some fall away, and they don't make it back. Some do. You know, and every situation is different. But one thing I know is the same. Jesus will always go after you. Right? Isn't that what the Bible says in Luke chapter 15? When Jesus is speaking a parable about himself, he says, I'll leave the 99 and I'll go looking for the one. And even today, man, maybe there's 99 of you that are just right on, sold out and surrender, completely committed to Christ. But maybe there's one of you here today that you're walking and talking in the wrong direction and Jesus is here to bring you back. You don't have to be old to serve Jesus, right? Some people say, I'll wait until I get older. No, serve him while you're young. Give him the best of your life. Give him the strength of your life. See, that's what the Lord wants. Jesus will come in and he'll begin to to share the things that we need to hear. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes those things will hurt. I mean, you know, they'll hurt in the sense that, oh man, the truth hurts sometimes. You know, but we need to hear it. Because look what he says here in verse 25. It says, and and then he said to them, this is what he said, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. These guys, you know, they're, uh, I don't know if you've ever been, you've ever debated someone, you know, disputed someone, and sometimes they think they're so smart Right? They think they're so smart. And Jesus basically says, guys, let me tell you something. You are fools. Ouch. (laughs) Have you ever had someone call you a fool? I mean, especially, you know, the Lord. But 
the one who is walking and talking away from Jesus is a fool. You know, sometimes we think, oh, it's because, you know, I'm so smart. And there you are, you go to college and, you know, you're at Harvard University. And if you think it's an intellectual thing and, you know, I don't know, I got to, you know, think all these things through. And God says, you know what, it's not a matter of your mind. It's a matter of your heart. Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, you know. I mean, when you look at this right here, what you find is the Lord is just saying, listen, you guys, here's the areas that you got to work in. He says, if you read your Bibles, you'll find that the Christ was supposed to suffer and die and then enter into his glory and then it's amazing again in verse 27. I can just imagine what this must have been like beginning at Moses and all the prophets. And that's speaking of the whole Old Testament, right? From Genesis to Malachi, right? The whole Old Testament, right? He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The Greek word right here translated expound means to unfold, to interpret. It, it carries the idea of sticking close to the text. You see, Jesus wasn't going off on some speculations. Uh, he wasn't going off on bunny trails. He expounded the Bible, which means he stuck close to the text, unfolding, interpreting, explaining it to them. All the things, think about this, concerning himself. Now, we know in the Old Testament there's over 300 prophecies of Jesus, and maybe he went over all of them. Um, maybe he was focusing more on the prophecies regarding the fact that the Messiah had to suffer. And I would venture to say that that's probably where he, you know, spent most of his time. Because, you know, when we think of the Lord coming, we think of the king, you know, we think of the crown, but we don't think of the cross. That They never thought of the cross. You know, they thought that when Messiah comes back, he will make life on earth. He will set up his political kingdom right here, right now. He'll make this place right. And it wasn't a political kingdom that Jesus was setting up. It wasn't coming to overthrow the Roman Empire. You figured he would, but he wasn't coming for that. He was coming to die. He was coming first for salvation. Eventually he would when he comes again, but... Before the cross, there was a crown. Before he was the lion, he was the lamb. But what had happened was, you know, there was this, this popular lie that said, you know, no suffering necessary. And it was true for Christ. And a lot of times I think there's that same lie for Christians. You know, we shouldn't have to suffer. Yeah, we should. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about that in First Peter. He says, our, our, our Lord suffered and we follow in his footsteps. Because you'll find that, that when you suffer, great things happen. We can't be superficial Christians. We do know this, that the Lord then began to expound the whole Bible to them. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says that you're going you know, to mess up his head, but he's going to bruise your heel. The very first prophecy in the Bible, you guys remember the Passion of the Christ? Do you guys see that? Do you remember that scene, that beautiful scene when the snake came in, right? And uh, the Lord Jesus, he stood up after wrestling in prayer, and you remember he just stomped on the serpent's head, right? And in the process, what did he do? He killed the devil of death. Although he bruised his heel, 
He killed the devil of death. And what that is, again, is it's showing us the whole process that, you know, he himself would, would suffer. His heel was bruised. You go through the Bible, and again, you can probably stop at Genesis chapter 12, and you, through you, Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed. You might go over to Genesis chapter 14. There's Melchizedek, the whole idea of communion. You go later on to Genesis chapter 22. And remember that time in the Bible where the first time we find the word love in the Bible is when God the Father speaks to Abraham. He says, take now your son, your only son, the son that you love, take him up to Mount Moriah and offer him to me as a sacrifice. And you're like, wait a minute, God asking us, asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, how could that be? Well, we know the whole story. He didn't end up having to follow through with it, you know, physically, but he did, you know, spiritually. And what it was, was it was a picture of how one day Jesus Christ would go up that same mountain and the father would sacrifice his son. You know, I mean, the Lord could have taken him to the typologies of Moses and Joseph, the the burning bush. Why a burning bush? Why not just a bush? Why a burning bush? Representative of the sufferings, right? Why, you know, when the wilderness, and you continue to travel through the book of Exodus, you guys remember the story when the children of Israel were thirsty, they wanted water, and so the Lord told Moses, go smite the rock. Why? Why? Why did he have to smite the rock. Why couldn't he just the first time go, you know, to the rock and and say, hey, rock, give us some water? Because it was a picture of how Jesus Christ would be smitten. And you just travel through the Bible, all the sufferings that would be required, the Passover lamb. Imagine killing the lamb, you know? I mean, the blood, the draining the blood, putting the blood on your house. Jesus was our Passover lamb, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. You go through all the Levitical sacrifices. You go through, you know, the book of Numbers. They've got, you know, everybody's getting bitten by snakes. And so what do they do? Moses, the Lord says, okay, Moses, what do you do? Take one of those snakes, put on a pole, lift it up for everyone to see. And all they have to do is look at that snake and they'll be saved. What's that all about? What's well, about how Jesus was lifted up? How Jesus bore our sins. And all we have to do is look to him and be saved. And you just go through the the whole Bible, man. And you can go through and see Jesus everywhere. Psalm 22. You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They pierced my hands and my feet. You know, you go through the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, verse 13, all the way. Read through that chapter, all the way through, you know, chapter 53, how it says all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. What in the world is that all about? It's all about Jesus. You go over to Daniel chapter 9. and Here's a strong passage. Daniel 9 verse 26. And the Messiah shall be cut off. The Messiah shall be cut off. I mean, how clear does it need to be? How much more clear can it be? It says right there, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. The Messiah had to die for us. And he did. 
You know, and, and, he, and the Lord is just saying, man, I don't get you. I don't understand why you're walking and talking the wrong way. You've got to be a fool to do that. There is so much evidence in the Bible that we are following the truth, the living God, the loving God. Why would you ever go the wrong way? Fool, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. You guys, we have the truth. We have Jesus. You know, we have over 300 prophecies. I encourage you, get that book by Herbert Lockyer. It's called All the Messianic Prophecies. It'll blow your mind. It'll strengthen your faith. You know, we know, and we've kind of, you know, looked at all this. Mathematicians have said, you know, that the odds of him, anyone fulfilling even just eight prophecies are astronomical. Some crazy number. They said it would be like, you know, you uh, go into the state of Texas. Texas is big. You guys ever been there? Okay, go to the state of Texas, fill it two feet deep in silver dollars. That's a lot of silver dollars, right? Take one of those silver dollars, just one, put a little X on it, and throw it somewhere in the middle of the state of Texas. Now you take your friend and you blindfold him. You put him in there, state of Texas, and just kind of turn him around, send him in, <laughs> and just say, okay, bro, fine. The one coin with the X on your first try. Okay, what are the odds of that, you guys? What are the odds? Well, that's only eight prophecies. Jesus Christ fulfilled 300 prophecies. How can anyone not believe? Jesus said, you know what? It was all there. And I've given you the evidence for you to know that you are following the truth. Later on, the apostles understood, and that's what they preach in Acts chapter 3, verse 18. This is those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. And so, have you guys ever heard that saying that you can take the Bible, you can open it up anywhere? Anywhere. You can play Bible bingo, and you can preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because it is all amazingly about him. And that's why he says that right there. Notice again in verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets of the whole Old Testament, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It's all about Jesus. Jesus even said to the religious leaders in John chapter 5, verse 39, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. And so I can't wait to get to heaven. I am definitely going to get that MP3. I'm going to download it on my iPod in heaven. (laughs) And I'm going to listen. This study must have been amazing, huh? (laughs) You know, and, and so it was a long, serious study. It wasn't fluffy. It wasn't filled with a grip of illustrations. He was expounding the scriptures to them, just teaching them the Bible, unfolding and interpreting to them. It was a long study, a long Bible study. And so after a long Bible study, you know, you might be tempted to say, okay, I got to go now, right? You know, I'll I'll see you later. But it's so cool. Look what happens right here. It says in verse 28, and then they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening. 
and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And what we find is that Jesus initially joined them. You know, he walked with them, talked with them, gave them the word and the truth. But here's the thing, you guys. In order to take it to the next level in which he would reveal himself to them, they would have to want it. And you know what? That's where a lot of times people... They just fall short, you know. I mean, it could even be, you know, a good Bible study you heard or, you know, and we all, I think, have experienced that. That was a really cool Bible study or maybe a book you read or whatever it might be. And God is saying, cool, cool. The next step, right? The next step. Let's take this to the next level. And we all know how levels are in relationships. We all know that. Some are acquaintances. Some are friends. Some are good friends. It's levels of relationship that we can have with God. Or maybe you're a Christian. You know the Lord. You know the Lord. But, but man, have you ever taken it to that next level? Where in all reality, the Lord, in his, as, a, as a perfect gentleman, he will not impose himself on you. Yeah, he might come and reach out to you. But when push comes to shove and there you are in the, in the, in the I guess you could say, the, the sanctity of your home and the, and the sanctity of your heart, you know, if, 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 you, if that's what you want, he'll, he'll go ahead and just walk on by. But if you and I just say, Lord, you know what? I want to take it to the next level. I really do, because I know I need you, God. I need your power. I'm walking and talking in the wrong direction. Yeah, my marriage is held together by, you know, a couple of paper clips and staples. God, I need you to come in and just to dominate my life, my marriage, my tongue, my heart, everything about me. Lord, I want to take it to the next level. And if you want it, I'll tell you what, the Lord... He's willing to meet you there. William Barclay said this about Jesus. He wouldn't force himself upon them. He awaited their invitation to come in. God gave to men the greatest and most perilous gift in the world, the gift of free will. We can use it to invite Christ to enter our lives or to allow him to pass on. And I'm afraid to say, I'm sad to say that many times we use our free will that he has given to us to allow him to just pass on by. And God is just saying, you know what? There are those moments in life. There are those moments of decision that you got to make that we should make in order to take it to the next level. He would have gone by, the Bible says, But they constrained him. And it's a good thing they did, because look what it says in verse 30. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us. First they saw the written word, so to speak, with the eyes of their heart. Then they saw the living word. 
Jesus revealed himself to them. Their eyes were opened. And again, I'm not sure if it was necessarily, you know, like just sovereignty. I don't know if it was just God. I think that what happened was something clicked. There was something that drew out their faith at that juncture in their life, at that moment there at the dinner table. Something happened to where now, like Hebrews 11 once says, faith is the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for. In other words, by faith we see the invisible. By faith we see. By faith we do the impossible. It's by faith. And something happened to trigger their faith, to take it to the next level, to where now the one who was with them all along the way could be seen. And he revealed himself to them. The substance of who Jesus Christ really is. He's not just this thing in thin air anymore. He's not just the, you know, wishful thinking that maybe one day I'll see when I die. He's real and they can see him now. Now. The Bible says that Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's why he was such a godly man. Because he could see him. And, you know, finally the day came. They took it to the next level. And they could see Jesus. That's what it's all about, you guys. That's what it's all about. You know, what's going to help me as a, as a husband, as a dad, as a son, as a friend, as a pastor? What? It's not religion. It's not going through the motions. It's about seeing Jesus. It's about having a real, true relationship with my Lord. And that's where it got to. It got to that point. And the Lord was made known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, some will say it was communion, but it's not. It's too early for communion to have been instituted by the apostles. It was just a, a common meal, really, with the uncommon Messiah. But somehow, you know, when they're there, they're just grubbing. You know, they're going to have dinner. And so, you know, I don't know, you know, sometimes you have a friend come over. Hey, will you pray for the meal? I would say they knew he was special. And will you pray? And so he begins to pray. And maybe it was a way that he prayed. You know how we all have our little routines, Right. This is the way we pray, right? Usually, right? Maybe they recognize, hey, that's how Jesus prayed. Maybe it was the way that he blessed and broke and then gave away the bread because we know nine times in the Gospels, Jesus blessed and broke and gave the bread away. Maybe that was a pattern there. But but more than likely, the way that they, you know, the faith just kind of clicked is they saw the scars. And, they, and it just kind of like they put two and two together. And then there was this thing called faith. And they saw the scars. And they saw the Lord. And he vanished from their sight. But he didn't vanish from their heart. Huh? And then they started talking to one another. And they said, man, didn't our hearts burn within us? When we were on the road. And he was opening the scriptures to us. Didn't our hearts just burn within us. You know, and that's how you can tell when it's the Lord. You know, when the word of God is taught by men superficially, it leads to a big head 
1 Corinthians 8, 1, right? Knowledge puffs up. But when the word of God is taught by Jesus in sincerity, it leads to a burning heart. You know, there's a difference, you guys, just in case you're wondering, between heartburn and a burning heart, okay? You know, one's annoying for men who couldn't care less, and the other is anointed by Jesus who couldn't care more. When you hear Jesus speaking to you, your heart will burn. And that's what happened to these guys. It's so cool. The living Lord came to them. And they were so excited. Because look what happens in verse 33. And so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Wow, man, look what the Lord has done. These guys that were walking and talking the wrong way, these guys who were on their road to Emmaus without hope, so sad, have now just been, man, totally transformed. They met with the living Christ. They're glad. And, you know, think about it. When was the last time you even walked seven miles to begin with, you know? Uh, I was telling my son today, don't tell him I told you this, but I say, if you're not ready on time, you've got to walk to church, right? <laughs> that's about seven miles. And I thought, hey, that's, you know, how these guys were right here. They walked seven miles, and then it got dark, okay? Now, we've got to remember, in those days, it was different. They didn't have night lights or street lights or flashlights, right? Maybe they had a torch, but it was dark. You don't normally travel at dark, but they were so excited. They had really experienced the Lord that they could not hold it in. And I was just thinking, Lord, that's so cool. Isn't that the way it really, it really is? I know for a lot of you here, when you first got saved, no one could shut you up, right? And, you know, you were just so bold and you were out there. And now that you've matured, you know, it's almost like no one can make you speak up. Something's wrong, you guys. When it's really the Lord and our hearts are burning, I'll tell you what, like Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. You see, that's what happens when it's real. Warren Wiersbe said the best evidence that we have understood the Bible and met the living Christ is that we have something exciting to share with others. The Lord is so good, so gracious, appearing to these guys. We read about him appearing even to Cephas or Simon, another name for Peter. You know, and again, isn't that a story of grace? I mean, appearing to the one who denied you. That's the Lord, man. And these guys say, you know, hey, he appeared to us as well. And they come and they tell their story. Psalm 42, verse 5 says, Why are you quiet? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Why? Oh, because things aren't going my way. The Lord says, why? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of my countenance. He's going to put a smile on your face. He's going to touch your heart when you look up and you hope and you begin to believe again. 
And he says the same thing in Psalm 42, verse 11, and Psalm 43, verse 5, verbatim, the same thing, confirmation. God says, I want you to know this clear, that you don't have to be sad, that no one has to take your joy because God is taking your story. And I know you're like, man, you don't know my story. I don't have to know your story. I know you're going through difficult times. I know there are challenges. I know there are temptations. I don't have to know your story. I know this, though. I know the glory that God can do in any family, in any heart, in any person. Because he can take all those things that you thought would ruin your life. And you'll find that what it'll do is it'll take those things. When you get your eyes on the Lord again, and he will take those things, and he'll put all the pieces of the puzzle together, and he will show you all those things were part of his plan, his plan of grace, his plan of glory for your story. You know, in looking at our study today, there's a few things that I think are secondary in application. Number one, don't leave, man. Don't split or quit. Don't walk or talk the wrong way. Stay in Jerusalem. Stay with Jesus. I think that's part of what we, we hear. Don't be a fool. Don't be slow of heart, right? But if for some reason you do, it's good to know and comforting to know that Jesus Christ will come looking for you. And when he does, invite him in. Invite him in. And those are things that are applicable in a secondary sense. But you want to know what the primary lesson is of our text today? He's alive. He is alive. And he is so alive. That he is here with us. He said, I'm with you. I'm with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I pray you'd be encouraged by that. I pray you would know he is alive. Father, thank you so much for your word. I know how many times I've failed you. I know, Lord, so many times. Thank you that you've never failed me. Thank you that you leave the 99 and go searching for the one. Thank you, Lord, that you'll join me on that road even to Emmaus. So I pray I learned my lesson. I pray, Lord... I wouldn't go that way ever again. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are alive and you're working in great work in so many people. And I pray, Lord, here today for this beautiful congregation that they would be encouraged, Lord, just to know how awesome you are. And Lord, your word says that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning, Lord. And so do an awesome work. I pray that we would exalt you, that we would enjoy you, that we, Lord, would be set free completely, 
set free, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, Lord, and the blood of the cross of Calvary, Lord. Just bless every person here, Father. I pray not only would you teach us your word, but I pray you would touch us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Together we love you, and together we just want to say thank you, thank you, Jesus, for those nail-scarred hands. Thank you, Lord, for that love that I can't even begin to imagine. Help me, Lord God, to go out and to live my life. Help us to live our lives in gratitude. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.